Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. without the support uh, that all of you have given to the show. So thank you, and I hope you'll be uh, tuning in as we wind down 2020, this eventful year. I hope you're all staying safe. hope you're all wearing a mask and following the protocols. It's been an eventful week for our country, uh, so I hope you all did your, your civic duty, went out there and voted for which candidate you wanted. Obviously, as I record this, there have been reports that the election has been decided. Um, I won't get into that, but I just wanted to... Uh, mentioned that front's been an eventful uh, week in this country, so it, it bared uh, recognition. We got a big show for you coming up over the next hour and a half. A uh, lot of stuff to get into. Could be two. We've actually got two hours on past shows. Could be an hour and a half. Could be two. Uh, but we're going to, of course, get into the week that was in the NFL. We'll look ahead to week nine. Uh, we have Ross Jackson, who is the head of the Locked On pod, uh, head of the Canal, host of Locked On Saints. Run uh, writes over Canal Street Chronicles and the co-host of Dylan and Ross Save Sports, which you hear every weekday live on Full Press Radio. So we do a little uh, show with show kind of thing. So Ross will talk about the Saints-Buccaneers matchup and we'll play word association with him. And then we have Hayden Adams, who is the uh, sports editor of The Observer, uh, He is, which is the Notre Dame student newspaper. He's going to join the show. Uh, we're going to look ahead to the matchup later tonight in South Bend between Notre Dame and Clemson, number one versus number four. Uh, and Hayden, I thought, also gives a great perspective, and I'll talk about it a little bit later, about covering a school when you're trying to be a student in a pandemic. It can't be easy, and I wanted to get Hayden's perspective on it. Uh, so we'll have some fun with that later on. But I want to start with the NFL, and i, I got to get into the news with the Las Vegas Raiders. On Thursday night, the well, on Thursday, the NFL made the decision to find the Raiders a half a million dollars, find John Gruden an extra $150,000, and take a sixth-round pick away in 2021 for uh, being a repeat offender of COVID-19 protocols. Now, I don't 
I don't think the Raiders are willingly violating protocol. So I, I'll say that out front. I don't think the Raiders are one of those people that say, yeah, this, this virus isn't serious and, and we're just not going to follow the rules. I don't feel that way. But when I read what Mark Davis, the Raiders owner, said on Friday to Paul Gutierrez of ESPN, the fines are draconian, but we will appeal them. Outside of the organization, people have the wrong impression about the Raiders. We take it seriously. It's unfortunate certain things outside the protocol are the things being focused on rather than positive steps we've taken the organi- as an organization. You've been in the building. You've seen it. Well, I would like to ask Mark Davis this. What exactly are the things that inside the pro, if, if you were following all the rules, then we wouldn't have to worry about things outside the protocol. Personally, I think the, the NFL went a little too light on the Raiders. And I'm not talking about the fines. Like, John Gruden's been fined. I get that. And we've seen different things the Raiders have been fined for. Darren Waller, I remember, got fined $30,000. Derek Carr got $15,000 because they went to a charity event inside, didn't have a mask. You've had John Gruden fined $100,000 for not wearing a mask in, in the Saints' week two game against, uh, a Raiders' week two game against the Saints. So when you do this again, you're going to get punished for it. I don't get what the Raiders don't get here. What did you, what did you expect to get fined when you, when the NFL has basically been warning people like, we're gonna fight, we're gonna take, we're gonna have punishments if you keep doing it. And they did it again. Personally, a six round pick's not enough, and I'll tell you why. The Raiders have two six round picks in 2021. Alright, so you take away an extra six round pick. Is that exactly like a deterrent? I get draft picks are like gold in the NFL. Believe me, I understand that. But could we at least have made it like a third? Could we at least have made it like hurt a little bit more? I don't get the whole sixth round pick thing. Like when does anybody ever get stripped of a sixth, seventh round pick when they do something wrong? I have to look that, we'll get into that. I'm sure it's probably happened once in the NFL. But you never really see a punishment like we're going to take a sixth round pick from you. Now I guess maybe they did that because they put so much in fines. But at some point, I think it hurts teams more with draft picks than it does hurt them with fines. I, that what I did not understand, and I, and I get the Raiders. I'm sure do, they're doing the temperature checks, doing the trackers, they're uh, contact tracing, they're wearing the masks. But so you must be doing something wrong. The NFL is just not going to come at you and give you these big fines if you're not doing anything wrong. And then to say that they're focusing on different things, like so, I would love to know, and maybe Mark Davis or John Gruden can clarify this going forward. What exactly are the outside things that are being focused on that should not be focused on? Sorry, we're, we're in a pandemic. Like Everything's going to get focused on. So the Raiders missed the boat for me here. I think they got off a little bit light. I can understand the fines. I think they're a good amount. I just think the draft pick, if you're going to take away draft pick compensation, you have to make it hurt. I don't think a sixth round pick makes it hurt, especially when you have two. If you have two in the same round, it doesn't hurt. Like, look at, I'll use a different example, non-pandemic wise. Go to the Patriots, right? When you look at what happened with the thing with the Bengals last year and the NFL took away a third round pick, I argued back then it doesn't hurt the Patriots too much because they're going to get a compensatory third round pick anyway. So they're still going to have a pick in the third round, they just lose the higher third round pick. Ironically, the compensatory third round pick is likely going to be for Tom Brady. So, Think of that what you will, but the Patriots, I think, got a little bit lucky then that they only lost the third round pick because of their past history. If the Raiders 
I would get a sixth round pick if this was their first violation. This is their second violation. I think you got to be a little bit more serious. I think they were with the fines. The NFL at least got that part right. I think the suspension, not the suspension, the draft picks be different. We'll talk about a baseball case where I kind of see where they totally got it wrong. And I'm obviously referring to the Justin Turner case, which I will get into later on when we do our baseball segment. I, I hate what Rob Manfred did there. At least Roger Goodell was like two-thirds of the way right. And I can kind of get that. Because, look, the NFL has got to be right on top of it with COVID-19. We've had a lot of games affected by COVID-19. A lot of teams are losing players this week because of that. And I think you look at the Niners. And, and the Niners are playing the Packers on Thursday. The Packers won. The Niners, basically, the bulk of their wide receivers missed the game due to either COVID-19 and Kendrick Bourne's case, even though we had a, a false positive. But you had guys, because they were contact tracing in the same room, like Brandon Ayuk, uh, Devo Samuel, not being able to play. The Packers had A.J. Dillon with COVID, and Jamal Williams couldn't play. Fortunately for the Packers, Aaron Jones was able to play. And, and I kind of question, there was a, I forget which show it was, but it was when the Packers had this case of the uh, coronavirus, it was one show I'm trying to put up for you right now, that the NFL PR guy, Brian McCarthy, actually commented back on it. And the tweet was, if I believe correctly, that if Aaron Rodgers tested positive, the game would be postponed. And Brian McCarthy came right out front to that tweet and said, and, and said yes. It was a Dan, a Dan Patrick caller show. This was from Andrew Perloff of the Dan Patrick show. Uh, a Dan Patrick show caller just had a great question. Would they play tonight if Aaron Rodgers was out? You're going to have that skepticism from people. Because... I don't get if you're the Niners and you and, and you take out a whole wide receiver core, and then the next day they were going to be able to play the game. They would have been cleared. If this game was played on Sunday, they would have been cleared to play. So I get the NFL wants Thursday night football. I totally understand that. But if you have a case where a position group, and I guess it's different for linemen that is wide receivers, a whole position group is basically look at the Niners wide receiver core the other day. It was Trent Taylor, Richie James. Richie James had a great game. But if you have one day where you could be cleared, why can't you push that game even to Saturday? If you want to have that exclusive window, make it Saturday, even though you're going up against college football. You would still have people watching the Packers 49ers game. You could even push it to Sunday. You had room in that 4 o'clock window. You want to push it to that kind of game Sunday, you can. But the NFL wanted to keep the Thursday night window, and and you get why, but it's fair to be skeptical that if a star player like Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes or somebody like that, and hopefully they never have to deal with this problem. But if someone had that, you don't think the end, there would be seriously consideration of postponing a game? We haven't really had that case yet. Obviously, I think the biggest star would probably be Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore in the Patriots case. So that's going to be something the NFL will have to address at a later time. Uh, but we'll see what happens with that. But and it's clear COVID is still making its rounds around the NFL, making it rounds in society. It's been a sad week in terms of the amount of cases and things going up um, in America. Hopefully we can get that on track. So let's take a look back to week eight in the NFL before we look ahead to week nine. Of course, I'm going to give you my five games to watch for this week. And I want to start giving credit to the Steelers. Get a big win in Baltimore. They go to 7-0. and 
They get the pick sticks on Lamar Jackson to start the game. And the one thing, if you're the Ravens, you have to be concerned is Lamar Jackson still is having problems with his accuracy. 13 for 28, 208 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. The Ravens did run it 47 times over 260 yards. So even without Mark Ingram, they can still run the ball with J.K. Dobbins, the rookie out of Ohio State, and Gus Edwards. But if you're the Ravens, you have to have a pass. If you want to go to the Super Bowl, you have to have a passing game. You can't just completely ignore the passing game. You can't ignore that Lamar Jackson has digressed as a passer this year, regressed in the, probably a better word. Mark Andrews hasn't had that dominant season he had a year ago, just three catches for 32 yards last week. And when you're looking at only using Marquise Brown one time for three yards, Miles Boykin, two catches. Willie Sneed had the best game for the Ravens. They're going to need a lot more in their passing game. For Pittsburgh, you just see Ben Roethlisberger continue to have a strong season. He threw two touchdowns, didn't throw any interceptions. And they spread the ball around very well. When you look at Juju Smith-Schuster, another nice game, 7 for 67. Chase Claypool gets uh, bounces back after not many targets fleet before. Five catches and a touchdown. Uh, Eric Ebron's had a good last couple games at tight end. James Conner, 15 carries, just 47 yards, but he got in the end zone. Deontay Johnson, just one catch, but you know he can make big plays. You saw that a week ago in Tennessee. The Steelers right now, I would say at least are the second best team in the AFC. I'm not quite there yet to say they're better than the Chiefs. I think if the Steelers play the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs would win. But Pittsburgh definitely, I think the Chiefs and Steelers have separated themselves. That's clear. The Ravens have to be on that second tier right now because they didn't beat Pittsburgh. And I don't think there's a lot of trust in Lamar Jackson right now that he can get the Ravens over the hump. We'll find out, but a lot is still to be determined with that. Dalvin Cook with four touchdowns to the Vikings as he single-handedly in a way beats the Packers, although Green Bay bounced back over the Niners with the big win on Thursday. Been a rough year for the 49ers. We said Jimmy Garoppolo has been injured now. George Kittle is likely out for the season. They've got so many injuries, it's crazy, but Seattle bounces back with a win over San Francisco, even though they didn't have Chris Carson or Carlos Hyde, and they will not Sunday against the Bills, which we'll get into later. I was impressed by the Raiders. Yes, a lot of games last Sunday were affected by wind and weather, and and you had that weird Daniel Carlson field goal. But the Raiders did a good job just controlling the game. Josh Jacobs, 31 carries for a buck 29. They ran the ball well, controlled the clock, didn't have Derek Carr make a mistake. And you look at the Raiders' schedule. This week they go to L.A. Next week they play Denver. If they win both those games, which they have a good chance to, They'll be 6-3 and three going to a matchup with the Chiefs, where you can also sweep the Chiefs if you win. It's a home game for Vegas. And be a game behind with the tiebreaker. So the Raiders are not out of the question yet for the AFC West. Because let's look at their schedule in December. Well, after the Chiefs game. And Atlanta, on the road, winnable game. Jets, winnable game. Indy at home. Chargers at home. Dolphins at home at Denver. I mean, Vegas has arguably one of the easier schedules down the stretch. To me, it looks like they're getting going to the playoffs. We talked all about what happened with the COVID thing, but on the field, the Raiders are definitely being a good surprise. And they have a good schedule to take advantage of that. Cincinnati made some good progress against Tennessee. I'm not surprised this was a high-scoring game, as I mentioned last week. I am surprised Cincinnati kind of blew out the Titans. Kind of makes you question where Tennessee's at a little bit. We'll see if they bounce back this week. The Rams are disappointing in Miami. I shouldn't be surprised by this. Tua didn't really get to do much, but he didn't have to. But the Rams made too many turnovers. And, and maybe the one thing I should have accounted for, Brian Flores' defense, which shut down Jared Goff 
and the Rams, and he was the Patriot defensive coordinator in the Super Bowl a couple years ago. It's one of those things with the Rams where Jared Goff wasn't able to figure it out. They made too many stupid mistakes, and it bit him in the butt in the end. And Miami, give him credit. They're in contention for a playoff spot. And we'll see how much more Tua does this week. I was not surprised the Giants kept it close with Tampa Bay. Because Giants, they were 12-point underdogs, and Joe Judge, what they do is compete in every game. Daniel Jones made two bad interceptions, ultimately cost him the game. You can debate that pass interference and the two-point conversion. But if Daniel Jones gets that ball to the pylon, it probably doesn't become pass interference. And the one thing I will work the NFL on for that, if you're going to throw the flag, and it's not inconclusive that you should pick up the flag, you have to keep the flag on the field. It's kind of like with replay. When something's not conclusive, we keep the call as is. You kind of have to do that with the flag, I think. So that's where I think by rule they kind of got that wrong. I'm not going to go crazy and yell over it. I'm sure like Giants fans are. But I think the NFL missed the mark there. Give New Orleans credit. We'll get into them a little bit with an overtime win over Chicago. Bears rallied to force overtime, but the Saints won that game. Philly beat Dallas, and Dallas is a mess. We're starting Garrett Gilbert against the Steelers this week. Uh, they're looking to go there. I don't know how many more games Dallas is even going to win down the stretch. Now Andy Dalton has COVID. And then Buffalo being New England. I, I was not impressed with the with the Bills. Honestly, Josh Allen doesn't throw a touchdown. Yes, that goes with the weather. And I think the Bills followed the game plan the way they want to run the ball in an undersized New England front seven. And they did that 38 times for 190 yards, three touchdowns, two of them from Zach Moss. Stephon Diggs, six catches for 92 yards. At least he contributed somewhat in the passing game. And you look at the Patriots, I thought Cam Newton had a better second half. They struggled in the first half, but Cam found a way to deliver late in the game until that fumble in the fourth quarter, which I was surprised. If you're down three and you're trying to kick a field goal, why is Cam running around the edge? Why don't you even run up the middle, do a QB sneak, settle for the field goal, go to overtime? I get they were trying to win the game. Jacoby Myers had a nice game receiving for New England. Damian Harris ran for a buck two and a touchdown on 16 carries. But that's the problem with Cam Newton is they've made a lot of dumb mistakes with fumbles, interceptions, and you feel bad for Cam. But look, New England's 2-5. and five. They're probably not making the playoffs this year. They're probably looking at a top 10-15 to 15 pick. And they got a bad, a, a really ugly matchup with the Jets this week, which I feel bad for everybody watching on ESPN. Not going to be pretty. Tell you that right now. Both teams haven't scored touchdowns or thrown for touchdowns in like two, three weeks. It's bad. Let me give you my five to watch for week nine in the NFL. And I'm going to start in Arizona with the Dolphins Cardinals game. It's a rematch of the Orange Bowl, the college football semifinal a couple years ago, Tua against Kyler Murray. So there's some intrigue there. Cardinals are coming off the bye. We'll see what Chase Edmonds does as the feature back with Kenyon Drake out. So that's number five on my list. Number four, we are going to go to Kansas City. Panthers and Chiefs thing is going to be a really interesting football game. Christian McCaffrey will be back. So you get McCaffrey versus Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, two of the top three running backs in terms of rushing yards this season. Will the Chiefs run the ball more? Because I found it weird against the Jets. Patrick Mahomes is throwing the ball like 50 times. That one didn't make sense to me. Chiefs got the blowout win. I thought they would run the ball a lot more, especially with Le'Veon Bell. 
Actually, let's let's make that my number six game. I forgot one game on my list. So number five, we had Dolphins Cardinals. Number four, we're gonna have Ravens Colts onto the list because I think Indianapolis is a very underrated five and two. Philip Rivers and the Colts are very good at home. The Ravens are undefeated on the road. Something's got to give here. Jonathan Taylor, we'll see what he does on the ground, and and I want to see what Lamar Jackson does against a pretty good Colts defense. This is going to be an interesting test off a physical ball game for Baltimore. Number three, we're going to Seattle at Buffalo. I think that's an interesting game. Because you look at the Bills, the chance to be a Seahawks team that struggled to defend the pass. Jamal Adams, I think, is one of, is coming back in this game. That should play a factor going forward. But the Bills, we'll see if they use their running attack more at Zach Moss or use Josh Allen one more through the air. He still has to prove something to me a little bit more. Number two, I'm going to go to that game in Tennessee. Bears and Titans. I'm really interested in this game. Both teams coming off of losses. We'll see what Nick Foles is. Mitch Trubisky is now out for the foreseeable future, so you know Nick Foles is the quarterback, no question. And for Ryan Tannehill, can the Titans bounce back and get a win? Uh, Titans have to keep pace. Remember, next week is Colts-Titans Thursday Night Football. Both teams with a, with a win would play for the AFC South essentially on the line, although I think they have one more matchup with each other later in the year. But that'll be an interesting game for AFC South purposes for Tennessee. And number one, got to go to that Sunday night game in Tampa Bay. Tom Brady gets Antonio Brown in the fold. Drew Brees and Michael Thomas finally get to uh, throw, throw and catch passes with each other for the first time since week one. Manuel Sanders is back after COVID. So the Saints are kind of close to his full strength. They traded for Quan Alexander at linebacker. He won't play a factor this week. Uh, but next week you might see him a little bit more. Tampa wins this game. They need it because if the Saints win, they not only have a half-game lead, but they have the tiebreaker. They would have swept the season series. And you would argue both these teams are different than week one. Tampa's more cohesive with their offensive attack. And the Saints at least now have Michael Thomas. So coming up next, I'll be joined by Ross Jackson, uh, who's one of the co-hosts of Dylan and Ross Save Sports here on the Full Press Radio Network. He's the editor for Canal Street Chronicles, the Saints SB Nation site, and he's host of Locked on Saints. He does so many different things. So you'll, you'll stay tuned. Ross will give you a more in-depth preview on the Saints and Buccaneers. We will play a little Week 9 Word Association. We'll be right back, and we'll do a little college football here on the show. Look ahead to the big games later today. Uh, Florida, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame, and the Pac-12 is back, including a 9 a.m. kickoff out west. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to Kicking with Keeler here on the Full Press Rio Network. We'll be right back with our conversation with Ross Jackson. With the Lucky Lands Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And joining us now here on Kicking with Kira to help look ahead to week nine in the NFL, including a big Sunday night matchup 
between Drew Brees and Tom Brady Part Two. Well, this this guest he does everything. He is an editor at uh, Canal Street Chronicles, which is the Saints site in SB Nation. He's the host of Locked On Saints. I mean, he's not doing that. He's saving sports as one of the co-hosts on Dylan and Ross Save Sports here on the Full Press Radio Network. Ross Jackson is here. Ross, how you doing today? My man, very glad to be here with you. Uh, doing very well. Appreciate you having me on. Happy to have you. So before we look at week nine, let's look back to week eight. Saints were in Chicago. I think they were close to asking you to play wide receiver because they were down three wide receivers, but they blow a 10-point lead. They win the game in overtime. Uh, what did you take away from it? Uh, it, it? This was a game that had no business going to overtime, let me say that first, but it was a, a another example of the Saints' defense struggling early but then coming through in the clutch at the end of a game. I mean, we saw the Marshawn Lattimore tackle at the end of the San, uh, excuse me, Los Angeles Chargers game. We saw the uh, Marcus Davenport sack in the Carolina Panthers game that put them just outside of field goal range. And then in this one, we saw the Trey Hendrickson sack on third and 10 to get the Saints offense the ball back in overtime after failing to score possession after winning the coin toss. And so for me, I think that that's one of the biggest things that stands out. And I guess the other thing would just be how just absolutely incredible Alvin Kamara is. I mean, I know that Drew Brees is going to continue to draw national conversation all over the place because, you know, arm strength, can he throw the ball down the field and everything? But I think we're doing a very large disservice across the NFL by not taking a look at some of these other guys that are are producing in in on teams that have larger names, and I mean that across the NFL, but in this specific instance, Alvin Kamara, who's shaping up like the Offensive Player of the Year here so far, 163 total yards from scrimmage in this game against a front seven and against a Chicago Bears defense that expected to be able to you know, give Alvin Kamara a little bit of a hard time, but he was able to produce both on the ground and through the air. So you saw some nice bonuses and some nice positives as well as negatives in both the offensive and defensive sides there's still a lot to fix with this team but this is a big stretch here over the next couple of nfc opponents that they have coming up to really build their identity especially as they start to get pieces back so what was a quiet nfl trade deadline in a sense with no really big names getting dealt the saints made a deal trading for niners linebacker Quan alexander how does he help the front seven for new orleans yeah, it's it's an interesting trade because the first thing he has to do is win a starting role. Like, he's got to win his way out onto the field. So the Saints gave up Kiko Alonso, which was a linebacker that the Saints probably were never going to get on the field. They don't play a lot of base package. They've played maybe, I think it's less than 30 total snaps with three linebackers on the field so far this season. They live in nickel and dime defensive sets. And so they traded away Kiko Alonso in a conditional fifth for Quan Alexander, who gives you, as compared to Kiko Alonso, a better coverage linebacker, a linebacker at a position that will see the field at the will linebacker position playing over on the weak side. And then he also just gives you another one of those guys that could be a little bit more volatile in the pass rush as well, disruptive in the pass rush, which is really helpful. For the Saints now, what they're planning on doing is having Quan Alexander compete immediately with starting weak side linebacker Alex Anzalone, who they drafted as a part of that incredible 2017 draft class out of Florida, and basically the idea is that these two guys will compete to have the great honor of playing beside uh, DeMario Davis on game day defenses. So what he ends up bringing to you is somebody that can improve your coverage over the middle of the field with as much maligned as the Saints secondary is with the deep plays that they're allowing seven 40-plus yard plays so far this year tied for the most with two other teams in the NFL, including Seattle. That's that's only seven out of 240-plus 
passing attempts against the Saints so far this season, you look at the middle of the field, the majority of those passes, that's how NFL teams move the ball is over the middle of the field within 15 yards. And so they want to improve their coverage there, get a little bit better defending tight ends and running backs in the flat. And Quan Alexander gives you the skill set that you believe will be able to translate to do that out on the field. Does he solve all the problems? No, not at all. He still, like I said, has to win his way on the field before anything else. But if he gets there, that's something that they could see from him as a potential boost. Where you have concerns with him is the fact that he's very aggressive. He has a lot of energy and he over pursues from time to time. But missing tackles is nothing new to the Saints defense. It's why 45% of their tackles end up with an assist as opposed to if you look at, uh, let's say, San Francisco where he played uh, just before the trade, it was around 42%. So you see a lot more, and that was on a larger percentage of tackles. So you saw the Saints with a higher percentage on a lesser amount of tackles that gather assists. So they're very much a group uh, group tackle, get after the ball type of a team. Now, I'm sure you've been asked this question a bunch of times, but what the heck's going on with Michael Thomas? This is one of my favorite questions because the fact of the matter is that Nothing is going on with Michael Thomas. He's injured, right? I mean, he had the high ankle sprain in the first game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now he has the opportunity to bookend his starts here and hopefully be able to come back for this Week 9 matchup. But you saw him miss the first few games with the ankle injury. You saw him disciplinary sad, disciplinarily benched for the Carolina Panthers game, if I remember correctly. It might have been the Chargers game. I think it was the Chargers game, yeah. Yeah, it was a Chargers game. Thank you. Uh, So they benched him for disciplinary purposes. He and C.J. Gardner-Johnson got into the fight. You'll remember C.J. Gardner-Johnson is also the one that drew two punches from Javon Wims during the the Chicago Bears game. So that's just kind of what C.J. Gardner-Johnson does. Um, And then you saw Michael Thomas miss these last two games with a hamstring injury, which he injured the Wednesday practice after the Chargers game when he was trying to get back out on the field to play against the Carolina Panthers. So he has now missed his two games, his expected two games with the grade one hamstring strain and is on track to play against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers unless there's any other type of of holdup if he punches somebody else at practice, which is highly unlikely. Or if he ends up re-injuring something, then that would, of course, delay that that return. But the hope is to have him back as quickly as possible. And we'll break this Sunday night game down more in detail and get to it in Word Association. But it just seems like this is a this is the prime matchup the NFL wants as opposed to Week One because now you got Tom Brady getting used to his full complement of weapons outside of Antonio Brown. Well, he's used to Antonio Brown because he just has him stay at his house. So I guess right. he's used to him right now. <laughs> and the Saints have Michael Thomas probably back. Emmanuel Sanders is off the COVID list. Marquez Callaway, I think, is supposed to be back. So it just seems like everybody is at full strength. What do you think is the biggest key to this game? I would say, I mean, I, I would say from the football aspect, in terms of X's and O's, it's going to be the trenches. It's going to be each offensive line versus each defensive line. But to take it to a little bit more of a maybe, I guess, philosophical realm of the football uh, of, of of the football action, I would say it's it comes down to cohesion because when you look at the very first game of the season where these two teams played. And then you look at these two teams now going into week nine. These are two very different teams. Like you could put these teams up against one another and see two different teams all told. And so I think that that's one of the big things is that you, we came into the week one game with the expectation that the Saints would be a little bit more familiar with one another, a bit more cohesive, the continuity, everything that they have would work to their advantage. And then the Bucks would struggle a little bit with that over on the offensive side. They only changed one starter on defense, but then they upgraded that starter, in my opinion, by adding uh, Antoine Winfield, who's just incredible at the safety position. So I was okay with what they had done on the defensive side in terms of their continuity. But the offense 
offense, having a new signal caller, working with these wide receivers that were less yards after catch habitual, more deep downfield habitual. So that was changing their play style with this new quarterback, changing from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady. So I thought that those things might get in their way, and it certainly did. We saw some miscommunication between Tom Brady and um, and Mike Evans lead to a pick. We saw some telegraphing from one of the other receivers there that ended up leading to a pick six. So those pieces definitely made a big difference in the opening game. I think you might see a reverse of that. It's potential that you could see a reverse of that exact same thing for the, the in favor of the Bucks because the Bucks are probably a lot more cohesive now. You've seen Rob Gronkowski get more into the mix after a very slow start on the season. You've seen Tom Brady get more comfortable with Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, depending, you know, they've had some health issues and have rarely really been on the field together. And so he's been building that continuity with each of these guys to where they're his number one option when they're on the field. And then now you have the New Orleans Saints who are going to be bringing back Emmanuel Sanders after missing two games, bringing back Michael Thomas after missing five games, bringing back, or however many, bringing back um, Marquez Calloway after missing a game, but only just now having built rhythm with the New Orleans Saints. So I think that that's the other part that you have to watch out for is the cohesion and continuity. Is there a time where the Saints offense is going to have to knock the rust off with the communication between all of these receivers and, and Drew Brees or, and I guess uh, compounded with that, can the defense hold off Tampa Bray's offensive attack for long enough for that to really take hold. This can't be like the other games to where the Saints offense got in rhythm at the two minute warning at the end or the two minute drill at the end of the first half. They're going to have to be out there and attacking very early. Before we look at the Sunday and Monday slate in week nine, this segment will go up after this Thursday game. But since you're scouting one of the teams for next week, let's look at the Packers and what's left of the 49ers because Oof. through COVID and injuries and the Packers, of course, with their COVID outbreak at running back. Normally, I would this would be a flip the channel candidate, Ross, but there's nothing else on TV, and I don't think people want to watch election results anymore. So, <laughs> what what do you think? Uh, what do you think in here? Uh, I think it's going to be a huge day for Aaron Rodgers and, and Devontae Adams. I, I think if you have Devontae Adams on your your fantasy team, then you're probably very happy about the way that this matchup has gone down uh, to to the extent at which it's appropriate. Obviously, we never want to risk anyone's health or or safety. But mm-hmm. when it comes down to the San Francisco team, I, I predicted ahead of the season that San Francisco would have their Super Bowl hangover, but I did not expect it to be like this. And it is a bit of a Greenbrier curse, too. Teams that go and practice at the Greenbrier in West Virginia tend to have these issue injuries or issue problems. It's kind of its own little Madden cover curse in a way. It's really interesting to watch this because we watched it for several years with the New Orleans Saints, all three of those seven and nine seasons. They went and practiced at the Greenbrier during training camp, and then they had these injuries. Same thing just recently for now the San Francisco 49ers who spent some time at the Greenbrier this offseason as well. And then the Saints, once they stop going there, all of a sudden, three straight playoff runs. So there's something to be said about the Greenbrier in West Virginia. But when it comes down to the matchup um, for the Thursday night football matchup, I think the biggest thing to, to watch is how this um this this Green Bay defense continues to you know grow more comfortable and this will be an opportunity for them to do that. No George Kittle, um no no anybody really over on San Francisco's offense. And so all they have to do is go out there and kind of execute together and that can be a really good that can have some nice impact on them moving forward. Uh but 
if they lose this game, Green Bay, then that puts them kind of in a really concerning place, particularly losing against half of a 49ers B team, essentially. So I'm scouting the 49ers early because they will be playing against the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans next week for the Week 10 matchup. Quan Alexander, that's his goal game. Not not just his goal game, but that's the organization's goal game to get him started. So I think that the other thing that I'm just watching for is what – offensive pieces are they able to use around Nick Mullins and and what type of a challenge might that present the Saints defense because if they're not really able to push the ball down the field that works to at least my advantage as somebody that wants to evaluate Quan Alexander because if they're going to attack over the middle if they're going to stick with the run game as they so often do in San Francisco then that gives me a really good opportunity to get a look at how that might affect Quan Alexander should he get his first start week 10. So those are things I'm going to be looking for when it comes to the San Francisco offense. And I'm keenly interested in Green Bay's defense in this situation too, just in terms of being able to build confidence. So let's look at the rest of week nine. And for those not familiar with the show, uh, this is our word association segment where if you watch a TV show, you've been to a psychiatrist's office and they show you an ink blot and they ask you to name the first word or phrase that pops into your head. Well, we do it for football games to help you get set uh, for the week's action. So let us start in Atlanta, the Broncos at three and four after their weird comeback win over the Chargers against the two and six Falcons, who actually won a game last week. Uh, Ross, what do you think here? I want to be rude about this game, just to be completely honest with you, because of the fact that the Falcons are involved. But I'm not going to be rude. But I just wanted to preface that because I wanted to make sure that everybody understood my standpoint on the Falcons. But my word that I'll use for this one is slugfest. Um, it, it might not be the most challenging game in terms of one team being better than the other or two very good teams, but these are two evenly matched teams in my mind. And because of that, I think you could see these these two teams really actually put together something pretty entertaining. I'm going to go with uh, keeping Georgia red. No, this is not to do with the election. This has to do with the Fal- this has to do with the Falcons red zone problems. Atlanta's got a score in the end zone. They've got, it's weird. They've got Julio Jones and maybe Calvin Ridley and they still can't score in the red zone. If you have Young Way Koo kicking field goals, good for you. Uh, this could be, I say this, if you have both kickers in this game on your fantasy team, you might actually do pretty well because it's indoors and they could kick lots of field goals. So, yeah, I did specifically target Young Way Koo this week in my waivers. (laughs) So let's go to Buffalo. Uh, really fun matchup here. Could be a, Dare I say Super Bowl preview? Six and one Seahawks at six and two Bills. Ross, what's the word here? Yeah, it's funny. Actually, my my word association for this one was going to be uh, underrated Super Bowl because I think that this could be one of those matchups that you know you can look at the top teams and, and let's just be clear. If you're trying to tell anybody that you know you know who's going to be in, or if anybody's telling you that they know who's going to be in the Super Bowl at this point in the season, they're lying to you. And this is one of those matchups that could be sort of that underrated matchup that ends up pushing its way through because seating worked out in their advantage or maybe home field worked out in their advantage. Maybe they were a part of an upset or some upset happened before them. Uh, that's actually the way that I look at this. And that would be a Super Bowl that I would be more than happy to watch as both of these teams have been very exciting for me this season. Yeah, my word for this is aerial attack because Seattle still has injuries in the running game without uh, Chris Carson maybe might not play again this week. Carlos Hyde still out. And the Bills, after they ran the ball like crazy against New England, I still want to see Josh Allen, you know, throw the ball down the field. And that's something mm-hmm. that this is a game he could take advantage with. Jamal Adams is still banged up for Seattle. We'll see if he plays this week. But uh, Seattle's weakness is the secondary. You signed, you traded for Stefan Diggs for this game. Get the ball downfield. And let's see Josh Allen win a game. Because honestly, I need to see more of the Bills, even though they're 6-2. and two. 
they really were not impressive last week. They should have lost that football game or at least gone to overtime with the Patriots. So I really need to see a little bit more out of Buffalo before I put them with the Steelers and the Chiefs and, and, and Tennessee. I think they're that, that, that low. So I need to see a little bit more mm-hmm. of Buffalo. Speaking of Tennessee, Titans at five and two against the five and three Bears, which Ross saw last week. And my word for this is consistency. Mm. Uh, the Bears don't really have any consistency because, well, Nick Foles is the quarterback, and Nick Foles, I guess, only shows up when you don't expect the Bears to win. Right. Uh, so maybe <laughs> this is the game that you pick them. And Tennessee, I'm not surprised they lost to Cincinnati last week. I'm surprised the way they lost. They got really pummeled by a team that didn't have their starting running back in Joe Mixon. Joe Burrow just went up and down the field at will. Tennessee's pass defense, still a big question mark. So both these teams have great records, but none of them are really consistent. And Tennessee kind of lost a lot of momentum from what they had earlier in the year. Yeah, I'm gonna. I was trying to think about something kind of cute for this one, so I went with Music City Mile. And what I mean by that is that Derrick Henry should run for miles and miles and miles in this game <laughs> uh, because the Titans, first of all, well, the Bears, first of all, lack heavily in run defense, but also the, the Titans, they made that trade for Desmond King, but he's not going to be eligible to play until week 10 with COVID protocols. And so they should be invested in keeping their defense, as you observed, off the field as much as possible. One of the best ways to do that is lean on Derrick Henry and uh, and and your running back room and your, uh, in this one. And that's, that's how I think that they should should uh, get away with a win here if they if they get one against the Bears. Let's go to Indianapolis. Battle of five and twos between the Ravens and the Colts. Ravens are three and zero on the road. Colts are three and zero at home. Something's got to give here, Ross. What do you think? Yeah, I, I was gonna go with this one, kind of like a uh, it, like a Where's Lamar situation, uh, as opposed to like a Where's <laughs> Waldo situation. Um, I, I think that look, there, there's no there's no denying that the Ravens are still one of the best teams in the NFL, but they have done so in a way right now that is very different than what we're accustomed to seeing with the usage of Lamar Jackson in an MVP caliber last year to where they're one of the lowest teams in the NFL when it comes to passing yardage per game, yet they're one of the highest in run yardage per game and one of the highest in points per game. So they're doing something unique, don't get me wrong, but you do kind of wonder, where is Lamar at this point, and do we start to see him now as we get toward the second half of the season and the running backs getting a little bit more beat up and things like that? Do we see more of a free Lamar Jackson here, which could be good or bad at going up against a Colts defense that's run hot and cold so far this season? Definitely a good point there. I'm going to go with running reaps rewards. I've used this before, but I mm-hmm. think it, it holds true for Baltimore as well. We saw Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins and Lamar Jackson essentially run the ball like 40 times last week, and they had success. I mean, Lamar, you don't need Lamar Jackson to throw the ball in this game, not against the Colts' defense, which is really good. And for Indianapolis, I want Jonathan Taylor running the ball 25, 30 times this game. Mm-hmm. He drafted him for this reason, just for the sole purpose that, yes, Baltimore doesn't have Marlon Humphrey in their secondary because of the whole COVID situation. But Philip Rivers loves turnovers. Don't don't let Philip Rivers turn the football over in this game. Just don't let him throw the ball. Just just let him keep running it, control the clock, keep Lamar on the sideline. Uh, Indianapolis could really make a, a big statement here with a win, uh, but we'll see what happens in terms mm-hmm. of this game. Let's go to Kansas City. Chiefs at seven and one, hosting the three and five Panthers, who may have Christian McCaffrey back. I'm going to go with uh, running return to this one because for the Chiefs, I think they forgot against the Jets, Ross, that you could actually run the football. Right. <laughs> like I didn't know like in a blowout, Patrick Mahomes was going to throw the ball 50 times. I, I, I'm just I'm just really confused. I guess he wanted to like get some confidence for himself or something. Like he needs it because he's in my mind he's a cyborg. He can make any throw at will. It's crazy. 
And for Carolina, getting Christian McCaffrey potentially back in the lineup is huge. They've kind of hit that lull, even though Mike Davis has done a nice job. I don't think Carolina will win the game. It'll be good to see uh, Christian McCaffrey hopefully back uh, on the field. Yeah, uh, I was for this one, I was going uh, run, Christian, run. Because if they get an opportunity to get Christian McCaffrey back here, that's exactly what they should do with him. And, of course, they do a lot of things with him that they are extension of the run game in terms of, you know, screen passes and passing them out in the flats, things like that. But it's all extension. I think that this has the potential of being at least an entertaining matchup, uh, not to the extent that maybe the Chiefs and Jets was. But I do think that this could be a really nice game to where you get to watch two high-powered running attacks actually go up against one another. Even though we don't think of Kansas City that way, Clyde Redzilair, Christian McCaffrey, these guys are both very, very exciting, and I'd love to see both of these teams utilize those weapons for this game. Although I do think that we are potentially on the edge of a blowout of the Panthers who are kind of already starting their usual midseason nosedive. They kind of started it a little bit early this season. And we'll add Le'Veon Bell to that. When does Le'Veon oh, Bell course. eventually of get course. unleashed? He was supposed mm-hmm. to be last week, I guess. They kind of took it easy on the Jets and didn't let Le'Veon Bell really do anything last week. Which I'm, I don't, but I guess he's not exactly not happy about it. We haven't heard about it through social media. Let's go to Minnesota. The Lions at three and four, who may or may not have Matthew Stafford because mm-hmm. uh, of the COVID situation against the two and five Vikings. Weird game on CBS for us. What do you think? I'm going to go with uh, keep it swift, and I think that that's what the Lions need to do. Lean on uh, DeAndre Swift, who's been fantastic for you so far this season. Once Matt Patricia realized, oh, this kid can do things, and then he actually started putting the ball in his hands. I think that that's what the Lions do if they don't have uh, Matt Stafford in this game. And even if you do have Matt Stafford in this game, lean on the young kid who has gotten you uh, a ton of yardage here recently. He's gotten you a ton of production, and he's put points on the board. And I think that this uh, this Minnesota Vikings team is really struggling to find its identity and really struggling behind Kirk Cousins and a couple of others. I think that you know this could be one of those wacky kind of divisional matchups that I think everyone wants to think of the Vikings as the better team here. But so far, the Lions have shown a propensity to really be able to produce. And then we'll see if they can hold on to a lead if they build one. But if they do, it's going to be through, I think, DeAndre Swift. See, my my word and phrase here is recipe for winning. I think the Vikings have found the recipe with Dalvin Cook. Just Mm, keep giving mm -hmm. the ball to Dalvin Cook. Let the good things happen. You don't have to make Kirk Cousins do really anything. And to be honest, I don't trust the Lions. Even if Stafford plays, Kenny Galladay's banged up. And now the Lions actually have an expectation to win this game, to get to 4-4. Four and four. And we know one thing, when the Lions have expectations, don't pick them to win. Very true. That's, that's where we go with the Vikings here. Uh, let's go to Washington, where the football team at 2-5 and five hosts the 1-7 and seven Giants. And, Ross, every week I have a game called the Flip the Channel Game of the Week. The game on Monday would be it, but there's nothing else on. So we are going with Giants-Washington as the Flip the Channel Game of the Week. The only reason you're watching this is if you're a Giants or Washington fan. If Ron Rivera goes for two again, I'll go crazy. I don't know who's going to score offensively. I think the Giants only wins might come in the division. I think Washington's wins might only come in the division. So flip the channel because this game's going to be ugly. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I'll also call this game overthrow central because between Kyle Allen and Daniel Jones, these guys couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. 
more than 20 yards downfield. They can get the ball down there, which is fantastic, but the accuracy just isn't there. And so, or whoever it is that ends up playing quarterback by the end of the Washington football team's game here. I, you know, I'm going to watch this game because I think that the Giants front seven is really good. I think that Washington's down linemen are fun to watch. And I think Terry McLaurin's fun to watch. So I'll flip through and I'll catch a little bit of it, but you certainly won't see me implanted and really uh, taking any time to soak this game up. See, this is a game that's right now supposed to be 72 degrees and not a lot of bad weather. We need bad weather in this game. Yeah, it just keeps right. it entertaining. I want, I need the weather people to bring bad weather to Washington, and I will let more time than just red zone on this football game, but uh, that will not change. Let's go to Jacksonville. Battle one and sixes. Texans at Jaguars, both coming <laughs> off of a bye. When's the last time you had two one and sixes playing each other off of a bye? And my words, motivation. Jacksonville should have some motivation, even though Jake Ludon's going to get the start, the undrafted kid out of Oregon State. Uh, we'll see what he brings to the table that Gardner Minshew didn't bring in for the Texans. You've got Deshaun Watson, but Will Fuller's still there. Brandon Cooks is still there. They didn't trade anybody because they can't get any picks back, and they're stuck worrying about, I guess their motivation is don't let Miami get a top-five pick, but both these teams, their season's practically over already. I wonder which side shows up more motivated. Yeah, I mean, this is a really... Um, interesting game for all the wrong reasons. Uh, I'll call this one, um, I'll call this one prove it. And for me, this is for the Texans. You, you don't make any moves at the trade deadline. You have great fodder to be able to do it. You're not winning games. And we knew that they weren't without DeAndre Hopkins. Like this first season for Deshaun Watson adjusting to having, you know, three of the exact same wide receiver copy pasted across his offensive line or across the, the line of scrimmage has been pretty tough. I guess you could vary uh, Randall Cobb from the other two guys, but for the most part, not really any real weapons or diversity of weapons for Deshaun Watson. And so for me, it's a bit of a prove it game for Deshaun Watson, even though he doesn't need to really prove anything, but can he win with these weapons around him in a game to where he probably should win? And then also can the, the Texans justify their ignorance with not making a move to where you can continue to build around Deshaun Watson in the future. And so that's something that I would keep an eye out on. I'll also mention, of course, James Robinson, who's on pace for over 1,600 scrimmage yards uh, this season, who I'm also really interested in, the running back over on Jacksonville sideline as well. Let's go to the late games. Let's start in L.A. Raiders at 4-3 and three at the Chargers 2-5, and five, shaking off yet another close loss. Uh, Ross, what do you think here? Yeah, I, I I wanted to sort of cheekily call this one battle for California because for me, mm-hmm. as being somebody that's in Los Angeles, there are way more Raiders fans than there are Chargers fans. And the Chargers still working very, very hard to build a fan base and fellowship here in Los Angeles. And they're not they haven't been able to do it yet, but now they have Justin Herbert who gives them just at least this little glimpse of hope, but unfortunately the injuries that they have over on the defensive side, they're having a lot of trouble hanging in games, which is not out of the ordinary for the Chargers, but certainly not the uh, not the, the, the personification that they want to be putting out there. So, of course, the Raiders now in Las Vegas, divisional rivals here, but this is always going to be a really interesting matchup to see. And, of course, with this one being in Los Angeles, it, I, I hope the Chargers will take a bit of a point of pride here because if there were fans in the stands for this game, they would be it would mostly look like the black hole. Yeah, I'm going to look at this from the Raiders' perspective. I'm going to go with contending opportunity. Because mm. uh, you look at Oakland, Las Vegas' schedule, they have L.A. and then Denver, and then potentially could be 6-3 and three going into a huge matchup with the Chiefs, who they've already beaten. Right. So the Raiders, I think, if they can keep the, from getting the expectations too high in their locker room, 
That was a really impressive win, even though it was sloppy weather in Cleveland, to shut down the Browns' offense, basically have them do anything. And now you've got to go into this game being the favorite, although it's even with the odds. It's just crazy. But uh, Justin Herbert, you got to be able to stop him defensively. If the Raiders' can, Raiders defense can come to play and get a big win, that would also give them four of their five wins on the road, which mm-hmm. I think is a good testament to what uh, Las Vegas has done this season, where they're not in their stadium, yet they keep finding ways to win. So this is a game where Las Vegas kind of has to prove they're in that AFC playoff year and get a win. Let's go to Dallas. Steelers at 7-0 and against the 2-6 and Cowboys. I kind of gave this word away last week. Uh, my word for this is Super Bowl rewind, meaning I would rather watch Lynn Swan, Roger Staubach, <laughs> Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, Terry Bradshaw. Give me, like, every Steelers-Cowboys Super Bowl of the past and run it back for those three hours because that will be more entertaining than this football game, Ross. Yeah, I got to agree with you on that. Uh, you know, we're supposed to see a, a combination of two new quarterbacks for the Cowboys at this point. I mean, this is this has turned into a, an experiment for the Dallas Cowboys at this point the rest of the season. So I'm calling this one the Steelers steamroll. Um, there's no there, I, I, I this should be a clinic by the Steelers on both the offensive and defensive side. Also, my, my friend who's a Cowboys fan really wants to see Cooper Rush. So who who knows how to. I don't know. We'll find out what happens with that one. Let's go to yeah. Arizona. Uh, the Dolphins are four and three off of uh, Tua's first win as a starter against Kyler Murray and the five and two Cardinals. Interesting matchup, Ross. What are you thinking here? Yeah, I'm going two a time, take two. Um, I, I work in the entertainment industry, and you know sometimes you you try something for the first time, you shoot a scene for the first time, and it doesn't. It, it's good. And it's a winner, but it's not exactly the way you expected it to go. So what do you do? You reshoot it. That's what I'm taking for Tua time here. Uh, you know, they got the win last week, but Tua threw for, what, 90-something yards in that one. And so I think that he himself has already showed that he wasn't satisfied with his performance. Now he gets the opportunity to go up against a, a young quarterback in Kyler Murray and in an electrifying offense with the Arizona Cardinals, who are in a very competitive division, who are going to be looking to host these Dolphins and potentially even kind of look past them, even though Brian Flores' defense has looked really good. And, you know, now they have the new boost with Tua in the lineup. So I'm really interested to see this game because I think we could have some fireworks here for this one. Definitely a good point on potentially looking past because Arizona does play Buffalo um, mm-hmm. next week at home. I'm going with Orange Bowl reversed. If you go back to the <laughs> Orange Bowl a couple of years ago, um, Tua, Alabama Crimson Tide took a big lead on Kyle Murray Sooners. Oklahoma rallied back a little bit, only for Alabama to win. I think you might get the same formula here. I think Arizona might get out to an early lead with Chase Edmonds and DeAndre Hopkins. Miami might creep back into it a little bit. Maybe Arizona takes the foot off the pedal, and then the Cardinals pull away again. But this was a fun uh, game to look back at where both these guys were in the Orange Bowl playing against each other. Now they're playing against each other in the NFL. Uh, but Arizona has to handle the expectation, but they've had a week off. I think they're going to be fine. But Brian Flores does have a great defense, and that will de- he'll have a good game plan for Kyler Murray. To your Sunday night matchup, Saints 5-2, and two, Bucks 6-2. and two. We've discussed it a little bit, Ross. So how about give me a word, a key, and a pick? Great. Okay, so I'll go um, to start off with the word here. I'll just take um, – I'll take wild – um, for the key, I'll go ahead and, and it's kind of reiterating, but I'll go into more detail. The trenches in this game are going to be huge. Uh, the Saints are going to want to run the ball with Alvin Kamara. They've done so very effectively so far this season. And again, 
considering also screen passes and flats as an extension of that. So the offensive line is going to have to be able to continue to remain athletic and seal off those edges and allow um, Alvin Kamara to really own the perimeter, which we've seen him be successful in. But they're also going to have to be successful in the pass blocking game against a very talented front seven in allowing Drew Brees an opportunity to throw the ball and be able to move the ball, regardless of what his weapons are or who his weapons are. And then on the flip side, Marcus Davenport is in this game this time. He's going to be matched up with Donovan Smith. That's a matchup he has to win to be able to get after Tom Brady, who's not going to be mobile. He's not going to be able to escape. He doesn't have that type of escape ability. So that's a big part of that uh, that I'm going to be watching. The Saints not having Sheldon Rankins is going to be a little bit of a detriment to their pass rush. So we'll see if there's some other uh, defensive interior, inter- interior defensive lineman that's able to step up in his stead. I'd keep an eye out uh, for a shy Tuttle in that role. And then for prediction, I'm actually going to take uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. I'm going to take them 31 to 27. I think that this is a closer game, but the Saints have to be able to get teams below 24 points, 27 points if they want to win them. I don't know that they're going to be able to do that in this game. And so for that logic, I have to give, I have to put the uh, Bucks over that number. And so I'll give them uh, 31 to 27. And the reason why I chose wild, by the way, is just that these Ray J games between the Saints and Buccaneers, they're always wild. They're always wacky. They're always weird. They're going to go similar to that line. I'm going to go creativity because I think mm-hmm. we know Sean Payton can dial up something creative. He'll get Taysom Hill involved as I get, I, I understand what now what I have Drew Brees on my fantasy team and I get really mad that Taysom Hill's in the game. I think Saints fans love it. I don't like it, but uh, that's just Saints fans are not so much a fan this season, <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't throw a touchdown to Taysom Hill last week. So I, I will gladly take, I, I will take that, but. I think he'll dive something interesting to kind of try to confuse Bruce Arians. For Bruce Arians, how, what does he do with Antonio Brown? Is there jet sweeps? Is there Tom Brady throwing the ball deep down the field to his buddy? Well, he's got two buddies now, but who is wide receiver buddy and Antonio Brown. I think he's kind of the wild card here, both for his behavior off the field and his play on the field. Because I think if he gets him involved to go with Evans and maybe Goblin comes back and Scotty Miller and, and the running game, it's going to be hard for the Saints to stop everybody. I mm-hmm. think, though, Brady is going to have that ability to just keep everything in check. I think they had their rough game last week. They, I think they kind of looked ahead a little bit against the Giants, but still right. found a way to win. That's what Tom Brady does, uh, as we'll get to the next game, why kind of bitter on that. But I still I think Tampa will win. I think it'll be close. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of points, so I'm interested for this game. Let's go to Monday night to wrap it up. And I think the rest of the NFL would love to mercifully wrap this up quick. Uh, the two and five Patriots against the winless Jets. Patriots have lost four in a row, uh, for the first time since 2002. Ross, what do you think here? Um, I'm calling this one, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> because unfortunately I am gonna, I, I have to recap this game for our national show live on NFL, so I have to watch it. Uh, and so that's the only reason why I'm here. I, I was alternatively thinking, oh, hey, the voice is on, but I do have to watch this game. So uh, maybe we'll see something special here. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Cam Newton get back on track. The Jets could get their first win. So there's at least a t- the tiniest sliver of intrigue here, but not enough to make me uh, happy about the fact that I have to watch this one intently in order to recap it later on in the evening. Yeah, my word for this as a Patriot fan, I'm going to go with pride. Uh, I think both teams really mm-hmm. need to find their pride in this game. Patriots, you wonder where they're at right now. They ha- they should have won last week. Uh, they played it great in the second half outside of the run defense. And Cam Newton did everything well except fumble the ball at the end. And you wonder where Cam's confidence is at. I- 
where it is. They don't have Edelman. They don't have Nikhil Harry, probably. They probably don't have Stephon Gilmore again in the secondary. Um, I think this is the Jets' best opportunity, though. Sam Darnold still not practicing. Adam Gase did on Thursday. He is still expected to play. The Jets have a deep, could, could run the football with some success with P. Ryan and with Gore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've got a shot. We'll see if Crowder plays. I think this is, I do think the Jets have a good chance to, to win this football game. I don't think they will. Uh, I do think they will compete in this game, which is something they haven't really done a lot this year. Um, I expect this game to be pretty close going into the fourth quarter. I think New England will win because I think they found something in Damian Harris. Uh, I, I really mm-hmm. like the way this kid runs the football. But if the Jets win this game, you're going to get all the national headlines that Bill Belichick's trying to tank for Trevor Lawrence, which I don't know. I, I've Ross, I've asked teams of fans of losing teams. I don't really know how to watch from the Patriots standpoint anymore. Do I, I don't want them to be the only team that loses to the Jets. But I right. also realize, hey, they could be one one game behind getting either Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields as that heir apparent. I don't know. Give me some advice here. What what am I looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think that you always watch. I think that from like the fan perspective, you always watch your team with the expectation that they can and should win. And so uh, that's always the approach that I've taken. When the Saints were struggling throughout the seven and nine seasons. I personally never got to the point to where I was saying, okay, lose for draft positioning or anything like that. I think you always root for your team to win because you can go ahead and get that early draft pick all you want, but if you can't show that you have at least formidable pieces in the facility right now in order to build around that pick, how much success are you really going to have? Or you're just going to end up like the uh, New York Jets that you're getting ready to face this evening who – didn't tank, but you know they added a, a very high draft pick quarterback, and they're fighting for their first win this season. So it's not a guarantee that you're going to build success off of an early draft pick anywhere in the NFL. Well, I don't think Bill Belichick's turning into Adam Gase, so I don't think no, have no, to, no, totally. They don't have to worry about that. I don't want to. I don't want the Patriots to tank. I want them to get in that ten to like that little bit before the tenth pick, kind of like that seven to ten or twelve range. Because I think one of the things that at least keeps me from being like really doom and gloom about this team mm-hmm. is they're going to get a chance to add an impact player in the draft. And right. I think when you give Bill Belichick a got a, a pick in the top ten to fifteen that can at least bring some impact, and he's done it with Mayo and Jones and and, and Hightower later on in the draft, but around like the twenties, I think Hightower was. So mm-hmm. if you give New England an early pick, I wonder what they will do. I don't think they'll tank. I think they're there are winnable games for them on the schedule. They just have to they, their front seven is just terrible. Uh, other than that, I, I think Cam Newton, and it's because they're small. Like they, right. The Bills ran they're it 50,000 times on them. I, I want to see Cam do well. I, I think we, we've seen I, – I wanted Jared Sim early in the year, but he stinks. He throws interceptions like crazy when he comes in every game. Uh, for me, I want to see – I know Cam Newton probably won't be here past this season. I just want to see him have some good moments because you can tell uh, the, the players love him. I, I want right. to see Cam actually have good moments instead of constantly see him sulking on the sideline when he does something wrong. Yeah, I would like to see that too for him. If nothing else, I agree. This is, you know, you'll probably see him this season in a Patriots uniform and then elsewhere next year, but this is an opportunity essentially for him to put a resume out in terms of tape so that some other team that may be looking for a quarterback and even a backup early, whatever it may be, but if they're looking for a quarterback and Cam Newton's able to sort of get in gear here to close out the season from this point forward, it puts him in a really good position. Even if the team's losing, if he's looking good, it puts him in a good position to be able to go off and find himself another job for next season, which I would, I would love to see. I'm a big fan of Cam Newton. I always had trouble uh, because I would want to root for him, but he was within the division. Now that he's outside the division, I can openly say that I just, I'm excited to see him 
find some way to solidify some success for himself moving forward. So Ross, before I let you go, I mentioned before you've you've got a lot of uh, writing and podcasting spots. So I will not try. I will since I maybe messed one up earlier, or I might have missed one. Tell listeners how they can follow your variety of work and, and on Twitter, social media, and all that fun stuff. Oh man, you you nailed it. I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I think you can. Uh, the easiest way to keep up with everything that I'm doing is just to follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson N O L A Ross Jackson Nola. There you'll see everything from Locked on Saints, which is my daily podcast covering the New Orleans Saints every Monday through Friday. You see my Tuesday appearances as I co-host the Locked on NFL national show for our network as well. All the writing over at Canal Street Chronicles and then the other ancillary work that I do as well through Hudak Confessional, Hard in the Paint with David Grubb and a couple of other appearances that I do throughout the week. You can catch all that over on my Twitter account at Ross Jackson Nola. And be sure to catch Don and Ross Save Sports every weekday here on Full Press Radio. It's a live show. I think it was at like 5 o'clock Eastern, if I get yeah, that 5 right. 5 Eastern, one hour, fun, just Dylan and I doing what we can to save sports every day. And in the Full Press Fantasy League, I face Dylan this week. I see Dylan's making a lot of moves. I'm really nervous about that. Uh, but I'm, I'm hopefully going to beat him and get back in first place because I was undefeated before last week. But Ooh. bad we- bad weather happened in uh, Buffalo with my Josh Allen Stefan Diggs combo that did not go very well. Yeah, uh, don't but- be worried about Dylan making a bunch of moves. That's just that's <laughs> just something he does to intimidate his opponent. It's a CJ Garner Johnson <laughs> approach. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so be sure to catch that show every week. Continue to follow off Ross's work. Ross, again, thanks for the time. Uh, keep up the great work, and I will talk again soon. Appreciate it. Hey, very same to you. Appreciate you having me. Special thanks to Ross Jackson. For hopping on the show. Remember, you can catch his show along with Dylan Sanders um, here on the Full Press Radio Network. It is Dylan and Ross Save Sports every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. It's one of our live shows. Uh, it's a really fun show. I think you'll definitely uh, enjoy it. A lot of humor and a lot of sports uh, driven into it. So be sure to check that out. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Rickinator555. Follow us on Twitter at FP underscore coverage at Full Press Radio. Remember to download the Full Press Coverage app on your iOS or Android device. You get all the live shows like FPC Radio Live with Ian Glendon and Mike DeBate, Snowman in the Morning, College Credit Hour, and Dylan and Ross Save Sports on the app. So if you miss it and you want to tune in live, you can do that. We have that every weekday. Or if you miss any articles or podcasts that we have, you can go to the, the, the app and watch or read those. Remember, be, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Please give us a ring. I hope it's five stars. We want to hear from you. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. You can email me as well, rickjkeeler at gmail.com, or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Chances are Kicking with Keeler is there. If you want to contribute to our team, you're seeing something, a sport or a team that's not being covered, join our team. Go to fullpresscoverage.com slash contribute, and you can play a part in our team today. So I want to get into college football, some big games coming up this weekend. Pac-12, of course, underway. There are a couple of games in the Pac-12 that are not being played due to um, certain things with COVID. Utah and well, not, uh, Utah and Arizona. Utah did not enough players, so that's a big issue there. And Washington, Cal. Cal had a little bit of an outbreak there and, and different procedures in California. So the Pac-12 already underway, but already going through their own a little bit of trouble. Remember, they don't have buys in their schedule either. So when, you, when you're playing a six, seven-game schedule... You can't afford to miss many games if you want to be considered for the college football playoff. But still, Arizona State-USC, which is on as I'm recording this, uh, very good fun matchup with uh, Slovis and Daniels, a quarterback. Uh, and you wonder how the 9 a.m. kickoff would affect things. You'll see as that game goes on or reached, has already reached its conclusion as you listen to this. 
Some interesting results in week nine. And I, and I guess start with Clemson. By the way, it was very cool that Joe Tessitore was on the call for ESPN, got a chance to call his son drawing an offsides penalty on the, uh, field, the field goal turned into fake field goal by BC. The Golden Eagles made a good effort. Uh, Yurkovic played well at quarterback, but DJ Uyangale did a great job for Clemson at quarterback. Yes, I have practiced that. I'm sure I will get it wrong. I've said it during my recorded interview, which you'll hear a little bit. Uh, but he had a good game, especially in the second half. 30 for 41, 342, and two touchdowns. Still, I think Travis Etienne, the running back for Clemson, is the most underrated player in college football. He doesn't get a lot of attention because of who the quarterback is normally there and Trevor Lawrence. And luckily, he'll be back next week. Uh, so good things for Clemson along the horizon there. But they made some big plays defensively in the second half. They struggled in the first half, made a bad turnover that led to a fumble for a touchdown for BC. Uh, but Clemson was able to come back and get the win there. Ohio State, very impressive against Penn State. Justin Fields, 28 of 34 for 318, four touchdowns. They got 110 yards on the ground from Teague. And the Buckeyes right now, uh, you would have to think they're a, potentially a lock for the playoff as long as they don't slip up in the Big Ten. Penn State season is done. But Ohio State's got still some tough games. They've got Indiana at home in a couple weeks. They've got it, but their toughest road game left after that Penn State game is Michigan State. So Ohio State with so many home games left, you'd have to think they're not going to slip up at home. They rarely ever do, even though they do have a rivalry game with Michigan at the end of the season. But the Buckeyes, I think, are in a good position now. Uh, as one of the teams to be a lock. Georgia, which I'll get into a little bit, has some issues at quarterback with Stetson Bennett. They won 14-3 over Kentucky. Uh, the other big surprise, Oklahoma State, losing in overtime to Texas, 41-34. to Three touchdowns for Sam Ellinger. And you wonder with the Big 12, if Oklahoma wins the Big 12 with two losses, there, there's no Big 12 team in the playoff this year. I think Texas kind of wrecked that for Oklahoma State. If Oklahoma State can run the table and beat Oklahoma... Maybe beat them twice. Maybe beat Texas again, the Big 12 championship. Maybe play Iowa State again. But I think the Big 12 needed a team to go undefeated, and that's not going to happen. Of course, the other uh, team that's been affected by COVID is Wisconsin. They had their game against Nebraska canceled last week. They had their game against Purdue canceled this week. Wisconsin cannot afford any more cancellations unless a lot of teams go through um, cancellations or postponements they will not be eligible for the Big Ten Championship. And Wisconsin would be a big win on Ohio State's resume if that were to happen. You just hope everybody at that program is safe first and foremost, but that's, I think, news to be uh, alert for. The other team I was very impressed by, let's go to Friday night. BYU. 51-17 win for Boise State. Now, Cincinnati's going to be the lead in the group of five because BYU is technically in our group of five teams. Cincinnati's been dominant in the American. They're playing great defense. Luke Fickle's doing a great job. But keep an eye on BYU. They're not going to get a lot of credit because of the schedule they played. But let's give BYU credit because they actually put together a schedule. Remember, they're an independent team. And what I mean by that is they have to make their own schedule. They don't have predetermined conference games. And what I was hearing on the FS1 broadcast last night is keep an eye on what BYU's schedule was supposed to be going into the season. I'm going to pull that up for you right now if I can find it. Their schedule for this season, I think they were supposed to play like Stanford, Michigan State, Utah. Here's their schedule. It was at Utah, Michigan State, at Arizona State, at Minnesota, Missouri at home, at Stanford in the season. 
So why wouldn't BYU get credit for the schedule they were supposed to play? Because at least they they challenged themselves to play a tougher schedule. So when you look at BYU as a team, they dominated Friday night at Boise State. A really tough place to play. The blue turf, we all know it very well from the dominance Boise State shown over the years. They win 51-17. Dominated from start to finish. BYU's got two games left. They got North Alabama, who they should crush, and a tough Mountain West game with San Diego State. If BYU wins both those games and dominates both those games, maybe they're able to get one more team to play them. I'd love to see that. They should be in the college football playoff conversation. Zach Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. 21 of 27 for 359 and three touchdowns or two touchdowns. And he's only thrown three interceptions, two interceptions this year. So Zach Wilson's a guy that NFL teams are paying attention to. 21 touchdowns, two picks. In the running for a top to at least a first round pick this year. And that stock's going to go higher. Uh, BYU, as I said in the past week, spreads the ball around very well. They played great defensively against Boise State. And you have to look at the Cougars, I think, in that conversation. I would love to see, if you ever had a play-in game between Cincinnati and BYU to get to the playoff, I think that would be really cool. It won't happen, but I think we need that. Also, don't sleep on Miami in the ACC. Derek King, 430 and five touchdowns on Friday night and the win over NC State. Miami is still number 11. Their only loss is to Clemson. Could Miami get a rematch with Clemson in the ACC championship? Could they get Notre Dame in the ACC championship? A lot can be determined over the next few weeks, but Miami, you look at their schedule down the stretch, Virginia Tech on the road is always tough, but at Wake, they get North Carolina to end the year at home, so a little bit of a tough schedule for Miami, but uh, they've at least bounced back after that win over Clemson. been a good year so far for the Hurricanes. So the big games to watch today, um, Indiana-Michigan, of course, is going on right now in the Big Ten. That's a fun game. Indiana's 2-0. Big game for the for the Hoosiers. Arguably one of their biggest games in school history, being in the top 15 in the polls. Virginia Tech's playing Liberty. Liberty's ranked, and Liberty, as I'm recording this, is beating Virginia Tech on the road. And you look, we talk about BYU. We talk about Cincinnati. Marshall's undefeated. How about Liberty? They dominated Syracuse earlier this year. Not a, a, a great win, but Syracuse is an ACC opponent. They still have NC State on the schedule. They have a big matchup potentially with Coastal Carolina. Both those teams are undefeated. So uh, keep an eye on Liberty a little bit. Uh, they at least should deserve some recognition. Hugh Freeze is the coach there. He's done a nice job uh, with Liberty. So the two big games today start in the what used to be the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. They changed it. Uh, Florida at Georgia. It's going to be a battle of Georgia's defense against Florida's offense. Kyle Trask, 18 touchdowns, two picks this year. Set him as 18 touchdowns to Kyle Pitts. But Georgia's got a really tough defense. But as I mentioned earlier, Stetson Bennett hasn't turned the ball over way too much since the Alabama game. Georgia's going to have to pound the football if they want to win this game. They're going to have to do it with Zamir White in that running attack. Zamir White, 402 yards, six touchdowns on the season. White, last week, 26 carries, a buck 36, and a touchdown against Kentucky. They're going to have to follow that same kind of formula this week because George Pickens, their top wide receiver, not in the lineup today. So that's kind of a big loss for Georgia. The winner of this game is likely going to win the SEC East and get a rematch, or in Georgia's case, a rematch with Alabama in the SEC championship game. So this is a huge game for Florida, who got the win over Missouri last week despite craziness during that game and Dan Mullen come back up and pumping up the crowd again because Dan Mullen's got that crazy personality. We've already talked about Dan Mullen on the show at least a couple weeks ago. 
But Florida doesn't really have a tough game left on their schedule. They don't play a single team with a winning record after today. So if Florida wins, they should win the SEC East. Georgia, if they win, they should win the SEC East because Georgia's schedule, they don't play another team with a winning record after today either. So huge game in the SEC. The other game in the ACC, of course, later tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern on it, 7.30 Eastern on NBC, Clemson and Notre Dame. And what's going to be interesting is can Notre Dame's running attack keep Clemson's offense on the sideline? They've got a good amount of good group of running backs. Can Ian Book make the right decisions? He doesn't have to win the game with his arm. He just can't lose the game with his arm because Notre Dame is very good defensively. I think they're going to give Clemson a little bit of problems. This is the biggest game for me for Notre Dame since the Bush-Push game. If Notre Dame wins this game, it's a huge win for Brian Kelly. His biggest win as head coach. Notre Dame still has some tough games coming up. They still have to go to North Carolina. They do have to go to Wake to end the season, that makeup of that postponed game from earlier this year. So Notre Dame, I think, needs this win more than Clemson because if Clemson loses, they're going to get to the ACC championship. They're going to get a rematch with Notre Dame. And as long as Clemson wins the ACC, wins the ACC they're going to get into the playoffs. This is big for Notre Dame. They have to win this game. And I do think they will. I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a, maybe not a, it'll be like a medium scoring game. I don't think it'll be high scoring, but I don't think it'll be a defensive battle either. But I like to fight in Irish tonight. I think they're going to find a way to win. And the other big game in the Pac-12 tonight, Stanford at Oregon. CJ Verdell in that rushing attack for the Ducks. Oregon is likely the Pac-12's best shot at the playoff at number 12 in the country. Of course, Justin Herbert's no longer the quarterback. But Oregon's got to win and win convincingly to really make an impression on the committee because they don't play USC or Arizona State on their abbreviated six-game schedule. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back, and we'll be joined by Hayden Adams, who is the sports editor over at the Notre Dame student newspaper, The Observer. He's going to give us an inside look at Clemson-Notre Dame matchups to watch. He highlights two players Notre Dame on defense, and he says them frequently throughout the, po- throughout the segment that I think you're going to keep an eye on tonight. So we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show with a little bit of baseball. And we'll do a little NBA with some news going on over there. Draft coming up soon as well. You're listening to Kicking with Keeler here on Full Press Radio. We will be right back. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And there's a big college football game going on Saturday night in South Bend. Number one Clemson at number four Notre Dame. And to preview the game, Bring back an old favorite on Kicking with Keeler, the student section showdown segment, and to preview this game and talk about, well, what's it like covering a college football team at your school in a pandemic? Uh, I'm joined by the sports editor for the Notre Dame student newspaper, The Observer, Hayden. Hayden, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you. So before we get into this matchup, I'm really interested to see what has it been like for you as a student trying to get through classes and things like that during a pandemic while also covering a football team that's dealt with a little bit of an outbreak themselves earlier in the year. What's that experience been like for you? Um, in a word, hard. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been pretty taxing. Um, you know, 
students are trying to cope with the disease and no fall break and all this and um, just the most unique of circumstances from our perspective. You know, we're trying to find ways to do content. We moved to a, a three day a week printing the paper. And uh, so we have to, you know, we're doing like college football roundtable predictions. We're doing fantasy football predictions. We're, we're increasing our number of columns that we're writing, just trying to find ways to fill content. And um, it's difficult with regard to football. We can only have one reporter at games, no photographers. Um, but yeah, we're making do with what we got. Honestly, I'm just I'm just thankful that we have football to to cover. Absolutely, and hopefully everybody's staying safe. That's the most important thing. So let let's dive into this game. Before we get into the specifics, what has impressed you the most about the way Notre Dame has played so far? Um, I, I want to shout out both the run game and the defense. Uh, from the run game perspective, the offensive line has taken a massive step forward this year. Last year, they were very they were great in pass protection but not very good in run blocking um against Michigan and Georgia combined they rushed for less than 100 yards last season so um the way that they've improved this year the way Kyron Williams has stepped up as a red for red shirt freshman when he had i think four carries last year uh it's just it's been very impressive and then on the defensive side of the ball uh they lose they're starting Buck linebacker. They lose, I think, a fourth or fifth round draft pick at cornerback in Troy Pride. And, uh, they lose two NFL caliber defensive ends. And they're one of the best teams in the country defensively. Uh, and it, it just, it speaks to how, uh, defensive coordinator Clark Lee has really, um, made this system just, you know, these players have really picked up on it well because while they have a couple of higher upside guys who, I can discuss later in Jeremiah Wusu Cormo and Kyle Hamilton, but they don't have the same breadth of talent that they've had the past two years. And yet they're surpassing expectations and really just a, a grossly underrated unit on the national scale. Let's first take a look at the running game. And this is an Irish running attack that has four different players have 40 or more carries. Ian book will get into a little bit later is actually the second leading rusher in terms of attempts. Uh, but, I think for Notre Dame, and I'm interested to see your thoughts for Saturday, Kyron Williams is their leader with seven touchdowns, but they're going to probably need a mixture of all these guys to keep DJ Uyagale and this Clemson offense off on the sideline. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, it, this game for Notre Dame, it comes down to winning time of possession and just keeping uh, DJ Uyagale uh I had to practice that name a lot, by the way. Um, just trying to keep him off the field. It'd be nicer if it wasn't supposed to be like 69 degrees and sunny on Saturday and we could, you know, have him just sort of stewing in the cold on the sidelines for long periods. But, uh, it is what it is. We'll take what we can get when Trevor Lawrence is on the sideline. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's going to be trying to draw, you know, just lengthen these drives, keep Clemson off the field. Hope you can get some stops and, uh, just take advantage of every single possession. If you if you go a possession without points, if you go a red zone trip without a touchdown, that's a big loss when it comes to playing Clemson. So looking at the quarterback position, looking at Ian Book, who's actually played pretty well right now so far this season, seven touchdowns, one interception. I think he'd have some redemption on his mind after the way he played in the Cotton Bowl a classic couple of years ago in the playoff against Clemson. How would you describe Ian Book's progression from the, from last year to this year? Well, 
I hate to say this, but Ian Book is evidence of why a team like Notre Dame has to recruit four- and five-star caliber quarterbacks, or if they're not going to, to surround him with four- or five-star receivers. Because Book is a former three-star recruit, formerly uh, committed to Washington State, and flipped to Notre Dame pretty last minute. And he did really well in 2018 when teams did not have a lot of film to game plan for him, when he had guys like Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool to throw to. Um, and, and if he were the version of himself from 2018 uh, going into this game, I might feel a little more confident, but even that version of him went 17 of 34 with, I think, two interceptions against Clemson. So Book has regressed like many quarterbacks have under Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Um, the the deep ball threat he was at the end of last season is not who he is now because he doesn't have Chase Claypool and because they have a better running game and they've basically turned him into a game manager. Um, his legs are very useful, uh, better than people give him credit for. Probably the best he's been running the football is this season. But uh I mean, Notre Dame is basically trying to pull off what Alabama did with, like, A.J. McCarron and, you know, back in 2015 when they had a Heisman winner at running back in Derrick Henry. But Notre Dame doesn't have a Heisman winner at running back. They do have a great offensive line, really great tight ends. So Book has the potential to lead Notre Dame to a win, especially when Clemson's got their backup quarterback. But he's he's just not the, the high upside top five national quarterback that people were really hoping he would be. And that's, that's just, you know, it's the reality for a six foot nothing guy who was a three-star recruit. You know, and I think for Brian Kelly though, he doesn't necessarily need the big five for five-star quarterback for this team, especially this game, especially since Ian book doesn't have to compete against Trevor Lawrence. I think that is a, a big difference in that. And you've seen Kelly has success with Tony Pike in his past at Cincinnati. You've seen it with Everett Golston, in Notre Dame a few years ago. Like, he can take those guys that aren't exactly the purest of passers and kind of change the game differently depending on the defense, which you, which we'll get into. To me, I think I look at Ian Book, and if he can use his legs and if he just continues to complete the ball at a good rate, he's completing over 60% of his passes. So at least uh, all I think you need from Notre Dame is long drives for Ian Book not to make the mistake. If he, We kind of saw with the BC game last week if – BC made mistakes that allowed Clemson to get back in. If Notre Dame can play a mistake-free game, they should be in this until the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, you know, Book had two interceptions against Georgia last year, and and that pretty much did the Irish in. I wouldn't put the whole loss on him in that game because, like I said, the running game couldn't do anything, and they asked him to throw it like 47 times. He completed 29, I think, and uh, and threw a touchdown, and, you know, they were driving with a chance to win the game. Uh, the one thing is just that he's gotta, he's gotta hit these deep shots. And that's a, that's a real worry considering the way that he's overthrown some guys, the fact that he doesn't have a Chase Claypool or Miles Boykin at wide receiver. Um, Kevin Austin, who was the presumptive number one wide out, broke his foot before the season and then rebroke it. So he's out for the remainder of the year. Um, it's, it, he's gotta hit some deep threats because at the start of the Cotton Bowl last year or in 2018, Notre Dame was running it a little bit at the start, and then Clemson figured out he's not going to beat us over the top, and they just loaded the box, and it was game, set, match from there. So he's got to keep the defense honest. Uh, I'm really hoping that, you know, he gets out of his own head, shows a little moxie, and and uh, makes this a really competitive game. But uh, if I'm being honest, I'm not going to get my hopes 
very high that that's going to happen. So let's look at this Notre Dame defense. Let's start with their run defense. Because I think when we talk, a lot of people are going to talk about Clemson's quarterback situation, but Travis Etienne's got to be the guy you stop for Clemson. He's probably the most underrated running back in the country. How do you expect Notre Dame's run defense to, con- I won't say stop Etienne because I don't think you can stop him. A contain him is probably the better word. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're probably right in saying he's underrated, which is a wild thing to say considering he's going to be a college football Hall of Famer and uh, broke the ACC all-time rushing yards last game and uh, 11 touchdowns on the year. I think now he's a passing threat. Uh, I mean, you're, you know, he's two-time ACC Offensive Player of the Year or MVP or whatever the award is, but suffice to say he's he's fantastic. And uh, I think Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, Notre Dame's starting rover, said it best when he said Travis Etienne's like a rover on offense. He's just he's so uh, versatile and hard to stop. Um, Notre Dame is ninth in rushing defense nationally. They've done a really good job. They obviously haven't played someone of Clemson's caliber. Um, when you look at the way Notre Dame handled Georgia last year, I think that's a, a good comparison to make. They did well above uh, a lot better than people expected them to against guys like DeAndre Swift. Um, Travis Etienne obviously is a better pass catcher than. Swift and probably playing behind a worse offensive line, but I would say Etienne's better than Swift. Um, yeah, the best you can hope is to contain him. If they, if he ends up with a stat line like Swift did last year, where it's, you know, he's barely over a hundred yards rushing or just under a hundred and maybe like 150 total when you count in the passing yards. I think, uh, or receiving yards, I think that's that's good for Notre Dame. I think that, that bodes well because that's about as good as you can hope. What what about Notre Dame's pass defense in a sense? I mean, I'm not going to have you say the, the, the quarterback's name again because I think we both have had trouble. At, at, yeah, thanks for that. Sing it over and over. Um, Mari Rogers obviously is Clemson's biggest deep threat, but Eddie, Etienne's our second leading receiver in a sense. What? How do you expect the pass defense to fare in this game? I think they'll fare a lot better than they did in 2018. And that's saying something considering that Notre Dame had an All-American in 2018, Julian Love, who ended up getting a concussion, or he got hit to the head and then he had to come out and then Clemson exploded. Um, and they also don't have Troy Pride anymore. They've got a North Carolina State transfer, Nick McLeod, starting at, I believe, the boundary corner and uh, Tariq Bracey starting at the field. Uh, at safety, they've got Sean Crawford, who's a sixth-year converted cornerback and uh Kyle Hamilton who's just an absolute stud starting at free safety um they've done really well this year I think like I said it goes to just knowing Clark Lee's system better even if you don't have the same level of talent and while those guys might not be as uh like McLeod's not as talented as Love but he's a little bigger he's a little more savvy I would say um Hamilton is just a freak athletically and you know Clemson is probably going to try and throw away from him because even with a quarterback like DJU, I because uh, I'm just going to call him DJU from here on, uh, even with a quarterback like that, like you don't want to throw it in Kyle Hamilton's direction because at any time he could pick off a pass. Uh, and then Jeremiah Wusukormo, as I've said at Rover, um, got his first career interception against Pittsburgh. This defense hadn't gotten a lot of interceptions. They got three of them against Pittsburgh, and uh, they, they're started to look a lot better. Uh, in terms of forcing turnovers. Um, so I, I'm pretty confident, mostly, though, just because Clemson doesn't have a Justin Ross or T. Higgins anymore, and uh, a couple of their starting wide receivers are coming back from some injuries, if I'm not mistaken. So I think it'll be all right, 
But uh, Clemson's probably going to hit a deep ball or two. One will probably go for a touchdown, and that's just the way it is. It's amazing when you look at it, I think, from both sides on the offensive uh, and in terms of receiving. I'm looking two years ago, and Beaver in Rodgers, but he only had six catches for 26 yards. I mean, Ross, Renfro, and Higgins did everything in that uh, college football playoff game, and Notre Dame really doesn't have anybody left from that team. It's amazing the turnover from t- just two years ago um, in college football. You would think, okay, a lot of these guys are back, and the offenses are sort of, with the exception of Etienne and Ian Book for Notre Dame, totally different. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Notre Dame's wide receiver recruiting has been very inconsistent, and I, I would feel better if maybe we brought along, you know, a guy like Jordan Johnson, who's a five-star freshman, and gotten him just up to speed quicker. That doesn't tend to happen under Brian Kelly. Um I will say, though, the tight ends make, make me feel a lot better. Michael Mayer, five-star recruit out of Kentucky. Uh, just, you know, I, I've said the word already with Kyle Hamilton. He's an absolute stud. And uh, two touchdowns on the year, uh, just a beast. You know, he'll he's already hurdled two guys this season, and he's a, like, 240-pound tight end. You just don't see that. And then uh, Tommy Tremble, he's like a, a hybrid wide receiver tight end. Uh, not been a big fan factor in the passing game the last few games, but I would expect Notre Dame to try and get him involved. Uh, tight end you, you know, Notre Dame didn't really have that tight end threat uh, as good as Alizé Mack was in 2018, and now they've got a couple of guys who can really hurt Clemson up the middle, and uh, so I would expect Notre Dame to lean on them for sure uh, because they just don't have what they used to at wide receiver. But what they do have in Javon McKinley and Ben Skronik is two guys who are big and can go up wrestling away from some guys. Expect Notre Dame to, you know, rely on a couple of jump balls, a couple of seam routes, and just uh, hope that that persuades Clemson to unload the box. So we look at the landscape of college football right now. The Big 12 is probably out of the playoff. Pac-12 just getting started. Big 10, you would think Ohio State, but Wisconsin's Big 10 situation is up in the air in terms of how many games they're actually going to get in with their COVID situation. So you look at this game, and it's likely – both these teams will play each other one month from now in the ACC championship, although Notre Dame still has tough games with Boston College uh, and North Carolina coming up. So I know it's probably an easy answer, but who needs this game more, Clemson or Notre Dame? You're right. It's an easy answer, and it's Notre Dame. And it's not just in terms of the college football playoff, because looking at that, if Notre Dame were to win this game and lose a close championship, you could probably still see them getting in because presumably Trevor Lawrence will be back for that game. Uh, which would offset any of the, like, you know, this was a home game to make it easier for Notre Dame. Well, neutral site against Trevor Lawrence probably balances that out. If they get blown out after winning this one, then they're, I, I have a hard time believing they'd get in unless the AC, the SEC just tears itself apart. Uh, and Wisconsin's probably not going to get in, but you never know. Uh, if they lose this game and win in the ACC tournament, I think they're definitely in because recency bias and all that. Um, but if they lose this one and lose that one, obviously they're out. Uh, aside from all of that, Brian Kelly needs to win this game. In his time with Notre Dame, Brian Kelly has won one game against a team that finished in the top five at the end of the season, and it was Michigan State in 2013. And when they beat them, Michigan State was unranked. So – this this is a big narrative game. Um, if Brian Kelly, there's a, just a big sense, you know, I've heard all these 
media people say it, like, if not now, when? This is the best his offensive line might have been outside of 20, might be outside of 2017. Uh, great tight ends, like I've said, great running game, very good defense. Like, and, and you're facing a backup quarterback. And if you don't have a chance against a backup quarterback, albeit a very good one like DJ is, what chance do you have on a neutral site against Trevor Lawrence? So, yes, Notre Dame needs this game twofold, both for in terms of making the college football playoff and in terms of the narrative of Brian Kelly's time at Notre Dame. And Clemson's schedule also is just much more easier. And if they lose this game, they got Florida State, Pitt, and Virginia Tech. They should be able to win those three games and keep it at one loss going to the ACC championship. So I think their schedule is a lot easier. Uh, quickly, just the, the buzz on campus. I, I tend to view it as the biggest home game of Notre Dame since number one USC came in with Charlie Weiss. I, I feel like this is at that kind of level. For sure. Um you know, I, I was listening to, uh, I want to give credit, Pete Sampson of The Athletic. I was listening to him talk about it. If you're looking at the biggest games in Notre Dame history, uh, probably number one is Catholics versus Convicts. Number two, uh, Florida State 93. Number three, Bush Push. And this is probably number four. You could arguably put this above Bush Push if it were number, if Clemson had Trevor Lawrence. Um, I think the fact that he's out takes it down a peg. But, um, I mean, if, if he was in it, you could make a case it might be above 88 and 93. Uh, it's just, it's a huge game. Um, the buzz would be so much bigger if, if we could have a full crowd, obviously, but everyone's excited. College game day is coming on Saturday. Um, you know, ev- I feel like everyone at Notre Dame realizes how big of a game this is, not just in terms of like, oh, top five match. Oh, college football playoff position. Like I alluded to, people know like Brian Kelly has to win this game. It's the only way that he's going to validate basically his time at Notre Dame, which is saying a lot considering, you know, he's up there in wins and they haven't lost to a ranked team and an unranked team in three years, but it is what it is. And, uh, yeah, it's a massive game and, and we're all really excited. So what would be the X factor for you in this game? Uh, I've said their names. It's, uh, it's Kyle Hamilton, and Jeremiah. I mean, uh, JOK, you know, they're, they're the kind of playmakers Notre Dame didn't have in 2018. Like I said, not the same depth of talent necessarily, but higher upside guys. And when you have higher upside guys, they make those X factor, you know, those game winning plays, whether it's, you know, a strip sack, whether it's just hitting Travis Etienne for a tackle for loss that puts Clemson behind the sticks and you're able to, you know, drop eight into coverage, and then you can get a big pass breakup to make a punt. Uh, Kyle Hamilton getting those big pass breakups. Maybe Clemson goes for two at some point. Kyle Hamilton gets that one little pass deflection that you need. So I'd say it's it's them. Um, and then, like I was saying earlier, just how long can Notre Dame hold on to the ball offensively? And when they're doing that, are they getting points out of those possessions? Because uh, you can't come away empty-handed when you're playing the Tigers. So... Yeah, that's that's what I got to say on that. All right, so let's wrap it up with this. Who do you got to win this one and why? Uh, this is this is heartbreaking for me. It's the first time covering Notre Dame football that I've picked the Irish not to win, but I'm going with Clemson because it's just it's so difficult for me to to see Brian Kelly just changing what he needs to change because he's had opportunities and he hasn't and 
Um, I think this game is competitive with the circumstances of a backup quarterback, a better offensive line and running game. Um, I just don't think Ian Book is, is a good enough quarterback to will his team to a win like he needs to. Um, but I would love to be proven wrong. So I'm going to say that Clemson wins this one 27, 24, and it probably does come down to who has the ball last. So before I let you go, Hayden, um, tell listeners how they can follow the work you're doing at the, I know you had a, a good column this week, reasons why Notre Dame would win and lose the games, how they can follow you on Twitter and where they can check out the article. Yeah, so follow me on Twitter at Hayden Adams, N-D-H-A-Y-D-E-N, no spaces, no underscores. Uh, also follow us on Twitter at Observer Sports and uh, go to ndsmcobserver.com to, uh, to view our content. So be sure to check out their work, especially I think you got to definitely support um, college student newspapers during this tough time because they're trying to go to class and cover the team uh, that is dealing with their own things with the pandemic. So be sure to check out that work. Hayden, again, thanks for the time. Stay safe. Keep up the great work. and uh, We'll talk again soon. Thanks for the time. Thanks so much, Ricky. It's been a pleasure. Our special thanks to Hayden Adams from The Observer for hopping on the show to talk about a little Notre Dame football. I, I like doing that with terms of when I used to host King McKeeler on a different network. I used to do student section showdown because I loved looking at college football and college basketball from the eyes of the students who cover the game and are on campus. And it's a weird year this season to where you want those perspectives, but even the students are not as close as the fans are. Like I found that interesting when Hayden was telling us about the, you only could have like one photographer or thing like those kind of things affect coverage, obviously. So, You'd love to give support to student newspapers, especially when um, kids are, are staying on campus and and a time where, the, of course, the pandemic is wreaking havoc everywhere. So um, definitely want to give support to those student reporters out there. So if you go get, get go read Hayden's work, I think you'll definitely enjoy it. Again, his article is Why Notre Dame Would Win or Lose the Game. So it's a really great preview that I read in helping to prepare for that interview. So definitely check that out. So let's go to baseball. Uh, of course, awards will be coming up this week. I thought it was interesting. Manny Machado got nominated for NL MVP finalist and not Fernando Tatis Jr., but I'm not going to go crazy over it. And we'll react more to the awards on next week's show. But a couple of huge baseball news items. Let's start with the Red Sox, who, in the midst of all the election news, throw out there Friday morning, we are rehiring Alex Cora as our manager. Now, I had no problem with A.J. Hinch getting the Tigers job. It's a fresh start. He's not getting rehired by the Astros. He kind of has to go through his own thing or explain to his team what happened. So there's a little bit different with A.J. Hinch. And I thought he showed a lot of contrition during the process. As, to be fair, I thought Alex Cora did too. But here's where I draw the line and why I blame the Red Sox for this. The Red Sox didn't really have I mean, they had a search, but they were going to hire Alex Cora back the entire time. I mean, they looked at guys like Sam Folds and... Carlos Mendoza was no, they didn't, they didn't ever look at that big name. There's guys up and coming in the, in the baseball coaching industry that could be a manager that would, would have been a first time manager. So when I looked at the Red Sox, it was always going to be, was this an ownership hire or was this a Heim Bloom hire? And while I'm sure Heim Bloom likes Alex Cora, there can't, you can't tell me there's not part of Heim Bloom that wanted to hire Sam Fult. They wanted to bring in his guy, and run the Red Sox his way. But he got outvoted by ownership, by John Henry, by Tom Werner, by Sam Kennedy, and got outnumbered by the players. 
The players, I'm sure, are very vocal wanting Alex Cora back. He did win a world championship with them two years ago. And if you are the Red Sox, be prepared to take a lot of heat. I'm not saying Alex Cora did not deserve to manage ever again. I think his pedigree, at least being a World Series champion, speaks for itself. Even though you can put an asterisk on it, it is still a World Series championship. But this was a farce by the Red Sox. They mutually parted ways earlier before the pandemic because they didn't want to deal with the PR hit. They took the interim tag away from Ron Renneke as manager only to get rid of Ron Renneke anyway. So he was basically an interim tag. They just didn't want him to say he was interim. So that was a farce. I think a lot of people would have a lot more comfortable than they would have took Heatford originally if the Red Sox had simply said, we are not having Alex Cora manage this year. He will be back next year. Because it's clear, while the Red Sox thought what they did was wrong, what Alex Cora did was wrong, they still like him enough to bring him back. And the 2018 violations were not as severe as what happened in 2017. I think that played a factor in it as well. It's Look, these guys are going to coach again. Carlos Beltran is not going to be a manager again, but I think he'll probably coach somewhere. I, the only one I don't think will get a job out of this whole Astros mess is Jeff Luno. Because he's never really admitted what he did wrong. He just blames everybody else. Hinch and Cora are going to get jobs. But it's the Red Sox optics of rehiring Cora that I think you can get you get every right to be angry at. Big news though for the Mets. Steve Cohen finally approved as owner of the team. And Sandy Ellerson made some big moves as uh, the CEO. Getting rid of Brody Van Wagenen, Omar Minai, and a couple other play, a couple other people in that Met front office. And if you're Steve Cohen, this is a chance to change the Mets the way you want to change them. You have money to spend on free agents. You can go out there and and, and make a splash if you want. You can make a trade for Francisco Lindor and, and improve your shortstop position. Trade a guy like Ahmed Rosario or Andres Jimenez. There is room to make those trades. So the Mets have different options. They're going to be one of the few teams that can actually spend this winter. That'll play a factor as well. Uh, for Steve Cohen, though, it's a definitely... A, I, th- I can see Met fans rejuvenated, that the Wilpon era is done. I think more people are mad at Jeff than they were at Fred, but still it's a new era in Met country. So uh, Mets, I'm, I'm sure, are, are happy. And I think they'll be one of those teams that are very active in free agency and in the trade market. One of the few that actually are. The other news that got me angry this week. Friday afternoon, 3 o'clock. MLB Network says they're going to stay on MLB now because there's news on Justin Turner and the Dodgers. And remember what I said last week. I will believe that baseball gives Justin Turner a severe punishment when I see it. And sadly, I was proven right. So here is the statement by Rob Manfred. I'll read part of it for you. As often the case, our investigation revealed additional relevant information that while not exonerating Mr. Turner from responsibility for his conduct, helped put in the context why he chose to leave the isolation room and return to the field. Mr. Tur- First, Mr. Turner's teammates actively encouraged him to leave the isolation room and return to the field for a photograph. Many teammates felt they had already been exposed to Mr. Turner and were prepared to tolerate the additional risk. Second, Mr. Turner believes that he received permission from at least one Dodgers employee to return to the field to participate in a photograph. Although Mr. Turner's belief may have been the product of miscommunication, at least two Dodgers employees said nothing to Mr. Turner as he made his way to the field, which they admitted may have created the impression that his conduct was acceptable. 
Third, during the somewhat chaotic situation on the field, Mr. Turner was incorrectly told by an unidentified person that other players had tested positive, creating the impression in Mr. Turner's mind that he was being singled out for isolation. Finally, Major League Baseball could have handled the situation more effectively. For example, in retrospect, a security person should have been assigned to monitor Mr. Turner when he was asked to isolate, and Mr. Turner should have been transported from the stadium to the hotel more promptly. So this is what this is MLB basically saying, we can't suspend Justin Turner because we screwed up. Yeah, MLB, you did screw up. And I'll say this. If Justin Turner is not going to get at least fined, then you've got to find the Dodgers. To, to come away from this, so what happened where you ha- you had almost no uh, game seven being pushed back for days if, if Tampa had won that game. To see Justin Turner take a picture with the team, no mask on, in front of Dave Roberts, who is a survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma. I'm sorry, and I, I I accept Justin Turner's apology. Believe me, I get it. He wants to take a picture with a trophy. You can't take a tro- picture with your girlfriend in the isolation room with the trophy. I'm sorry. I don't. I get you want to take a picture with your teammates, but other people have made sacrifices bigger than that in this pandemic. And Justin Turner was a leader for the Dodgers to try to help enforce COVID protocols, and he did not enforce them themselves. Himself. I'm not saying he should have got a 50 game suspension. I'm not saying he should have got a season-long suspension or kick him out of the sport. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that MLB should have looked at this and said, we have to make a statement. We have to work with the PA and make a statement. They worked with the PA, and the PA won again. And then you had the report from the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Five members of the Dodgers organization plus a family member tested positive for COVID-19. The, the LA Times reported that none of the tests came from employees inside the bubble. So that you got that for you. But think about that now and you look at the Justin Turner case. You had five people with the Dodgers, not in the bubble, but tested positive. So think about this from the Dodgers standpoint. Think about this from MLB's whole optics standpoint. With the, if MLB is going to have these protocols, why weren't they strictly enforced here? Why wasn't there punishment for the protocols? It shows the protocols were just put on paper, to be honest. And baseball did a, a decent job throughout the season. They got through the season. They got through the postseason. They got their TV money. They they did everything they had to do. And they screwed this up again. Because when you look at this situation, Justin Turner should have took consequence for his actions. And that should have at least been a... If you want to even give a fine, I'm okay with that. But to do nothing? And this is baseball, and I'm saying this, saying we screwed up. How can we punish Justin Turner when we screwed up? So then something should happen at Major League Baseball. Something should happen with the Dodgers. But to have nothing happen to anybody and saying, oh, it's just all one big misunderstanding. Oh, we, we all messed up. Let's just all move on. Justin Turner's apologized, blah, 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 blah. It's not enough. It's not enough. And I kind of talked about the Raiders thing. Strict punishments would mean stricter adherence to protocols. So where are we in this? It just blows my mind. It, it, when I heard that yesterday, I got really angry. I said, I said, then what are we doing here at Major League Baseball? 
that you can have somebody violate the rules. And again, Justin Turner should have been brought right back to the hotel. We've already talked about last week what happened and how they had an inconclusive test and he's still playing in the game. That was wrong. They screwed this whole situation up and got lucky there was no game seven. Just the way it is. The other news of the week in the NBA, uh, the board, the NBA Players Association, the NBA agreed to start the season December 22nd. It'll be a 72 game season. Uh, the NBA had to get this done. I know players wanted Martin Luther King uh, Day to be the start of the season, but instead they have to play Christmas week. It's the NBA basically they market their Christmas games. They make a lot of money off of them. So it makes sense. You're going to have a shorter offseason. I've said this. If LeBron James, Anthony Davis, or any big-time players don't want to play, then don't play the first week. Don't play to, Don't play on Christmas, and then the NBA won't schedule the Lakers on Christmas. There are other teams you could put on Christmas and other matchups that will make people watch. That's always an option. They have the draft coming up November 18th. Free agency right before Thanksgiving, so that'll be interesting, and we'll cover that here on Kicking with Keeler. So keep an eye out for that. The other big news, next week we'll be doing the show uh, as the Masters goes on. And I think that'll be fun to watch. Can Tiger Woods repeat as Masters champion? Uh, He has not looked, he has not played good golf over the last year since the Masters. But that's the one course that he tends to know better than anybody else. And the one thing that's really fun about this Masters, of course, is the conditions. It's not going to be as warm. Will wind be a factor? Uh, there's so much to look forward to to the Masters. Uh, you're going to have the Masters lead into college football next Saturday with Alabama LSU on CBS, then lead to NFL football. So early Masters, so you get to wake up on Saturday and Sunday morning and watch a little bit of golf. Uh, I enjoy it a lot. It's one of my favorite events to watch. Uh, I'm into it regardless of who's in the lead, so I'll watch, obviously, if it's a drama of Amen Corner. Um, if there's a uh, what happens on 12 with the, with the hole surrounded by the water hazard, those par fives in the back nine always bring some intrigue. Usually the Masters, more often than not, leads to drama on Sunday. I think that we'll, we're going to give you, of course, the contenders when we record the show next week. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see what happens at Augusta National. So a special thanks to Ross Jackson from uh, Canal Street Chronicles, Locked On Saints, and Dylan and Ross Save Sports. And Hey Nams, the student editor, sports editor from The Observer, for hopping on the show this week. We will be back next week. We will look ahead to week 10 in the NFL. Yes, we are already going into week 10. We will look ahead to, we will also, of course, I mentioned, give you a live update from the Masters. What's going on over there? Not many big college football games next week, so maybe we'll have a, a guest talk about something different. Maybe we'll preview the NBA draft next week. Because uh, remember, that will be November 18th. Our next show and record will be the 12th to 13th, so maybe we'll do a little preview for that. Look ahead to NBA free agency a little bit. And anything that goes on the baseball hot stove, the awards will be going on. And that should be uh, a lot of fun. College basketball, by the way, is also just two weeks away. Getting, be- getting ready to get back into that. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at, you follow me at Rickinator555. It's at R-I-C-K, letter I, Nader like and Terminator in three fives. Be sure to follow us at Full Press Coverage or at FP underscore coverage at Full Press Radio. Be sure, again, we have a Sportscaster page, sportscaster.com slash fullpresscoverage to watch any of our live video shows. So anything that we record on camera, you can see there. Be sure to download the podcast on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a rating. I hope you like it. Subscribe. Please give us a rating. hope it's five stars. But I want to hear from you. What do you like? What do you don't like as we reach 
uh, 50 episodes next week. And be sure to email me as well, rickjkeeler at gmail.com. And remember to download the Full Press Coverage app on your iOS or Android device. You can get all of our articles, podcasts, live shows, anything Full Press Coverage. It is on the app, uh, so please be sure to check it out. So from all of us here at Full Press Coverage, I'm Ricky Keeler saying have a great week, stay safe, please wear a mask, and we'll talk to you the next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.